Hello, everyone, and welcome to a fresh edition of the First in Orange podcast, your Broncos podcast presented by the Denver Post. I'm Nick Cosmatter, alongside my Broncos beat writing colleague, Nikki Javala, um, fresh from her whirlwind trips to uh, Senior Bowl in Alabama and the Super Bowl in frigid Minnesota. Have you, have, you, have you thought out? <laughs> Not quite. I'm still in pain, still cold. Yeah, it's the kind of uh, cold that just like freezes your actual bones and no matter what you do it's it, it just seems to linger i've never felt cold like that but it was worth it it was a good trip learned a lot so it was really cold though really really cold yeah yeah you let's let's first just talk about kind of um you know the game you got you got a in this in the house seat to one of the more um entertaining super bowls mm-hmm. in history although it seems like every year now when super bowls used to be these massive blowouts now it's like down to the wire excitement every year which just kind of your first first of all your your takeaways from covering that game? I think for me, the focus always goes back to the quarterback situation, just because the Broncos have been embroiled in a quarterback mess for two years now. But just looking at how the Eagles were built and, you know, kind of the criticism they took last year when they re-signed, or they signed Nick Foles to that two-year deal, which now looks like one of the greatest moves ever. (laughs) Um, Because not only did they have one really great starter in Carson Wentz, but they had two. And and two quarterbacks that they could adjust their system around. And, you know, you compare that to the situation in Denver, you know, the Broncos... three, they couldn't get it done. Right, right. (laughs) They, They don't have any true starter, and they don't really have a system that seems to fit any of those players that they have on the roster. So... It kind of raises a lot of questions about the Broncos situation. It, you know, I'm sure it created a bit of envy for Broncos fans to some degree. Um, but that was the biggest takeaway. I also covered the Patriots, um, just their practices as a pool reporter. And seeing the way they work, um, you know, at a really unique situation, yes, this is kind of normal for them being back in the Super Bowl, but seeing the way they practice... Um, was interesting to say the least. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, as as a pool reporter, you're only allowed to, you know, kind of report so much. But what were mm-hmm. some of what were some mm-hmm. of those general impressions that you had that kind of stood out? Well, I I was telling somebody earlier that I, I felt like they they had one fully padded practice that was on Wednesday. Um, Thursday was Thursday and Friday were more of jog throughs, and then. Um, Saturday was just a photo day and a time to meet with family and friends. So Wednesday, it, it was an up-tempo, fully padded practice. I mean, not a minute was wasted. It kind of reminded me more of a Kubiak-style practice where everybody is going, every phase is going, no minute is wasted. Whereas I, I think oftentimes when we watched um, the early parts of the Broncos practices, it just seemed kind of slow and lackadaisical, not much energy there. And, you know, I know there was a lot of talk about practice and how the Broncos <laughs> had practice. a good practice, but, you know, it was, it was a very different sight um, seeing the way the, seeing the way the Patriots operate and how they design their practices. So maybe, yeah, maybe some, some lessons to be, to be learned from, from that. I mean, obviously it's, it's a, it's something that they perfected. I read a piece, and, and I think it was in, on the Ringer, um, also just about how they they would practice specifically for fourth quarter situations, and that's why they've been so historically good. But yeah. at the end of practice, doing these, I guess they have a hill in New England. Obviously, I'm sure it wasn't there in Minnesota, but um, just kind of the way that they they finish practice to to, to um, sort of prepare for kind of real-world, real-game type right. of situations. It was all, like, when they finished practices both Wednesday and Thursday, they always ended on two-minute drills, 
which, you know, that's their most up-tempo time, the most critical situation. So throughout the practices, it was a lot of game, it was a lot of situational football. And then they would end on, you know, a really fast note, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, let's let's go back to Foles real quick, um, you know, because obviously in the wake of the Super Bowl, there's there's all this talk about, you know, he could fetch he could fetch a first round pick. He could be a guy that some of these quarterback needy teams are, you know, are, are looking mm-hmm. for. Um, to me, it seems though that th- this situation worked out mm-hmm. so well for the Eagles. Um, they might just want to double down on it, especially when you consider that that Carson Wentz might not be ready to start come the first game of the season. Yeah, I mean, they have their quarterback of the future and the Super Bowl MVP, <laughs> and they're not paying much for the second guy. I think he's, was it two years and $11, $11 million they right. signed him to? So, I think it's I mean, $7 million for next year, yeah. They hold all the cards. I mean, I wouldn't give up a Super Bowl MVP who's just my backup for one year. I mean, to me, that gives them significant leverage if other teams approach them with, with trade requests, like, you're going to have to give up a haul if you want something like that. And I, I mean, I, w- I would do the same if I were the Eagles. Like, I wouldn't want to give up, you know, a Super Bowl MVP that easily. And then I think on the flip side of it, you know, kind of what Foles has done may create some pause. I mean, he's an older quarterback, but, you know, he hasn't played like he did in this playoff stretch all throughout his career. Mm-hmm. So do you treat this three-game um, performance as a blip? Do you say, hey, this is a guy who can really be our starter? I don't know. Right. One of the other at- interesting aspects of that, too, is I, I think we did a, a lunch chat yesterday, and, and, and obviously you know, a lot of people were asking about the Broncos' potential mm-hmm. involvement in Foles, but there were others who said, no, you shouldn't try to trade for him. Um, he, he's just a system quarterback. And mm-hmm. to me, I think it kind of goes back to, A, I, I, don't, I don't think that's fully true. I think he showed talent um, mm-hmm. and precision that, that really didn't have, you know, was, was just sort of his talent and his preparation. Right. But on that same token, the obvious question might be, if that's a system that can make this guy as good as he was, mm-hmm. why aren't more teams running the yeah. system? And what did you see from the Eagles in kind of the, the time around them and then the game that, that you think – you know, the Broncos and some other teams can, can apply to their own um, systems. Well, I just thought the way they adapted was significant. You know, it was it's one system, but they tweaked it to fit both quarterbacks. So they tweaked the system to fit their players. They didn't it's a novel to, concept. Right? <laughs> um, and I, I know a lot of attention was paid to the RPOs, the run-pass options. And, you know, I, I think... A, I think a lot of the attention was geared to that just because it's so different. It's a college spread concept that they use, but it, it is only a fraction of their offense. And Nick Foles made a good point that, you know, a lot of the times when people see their offense, they think, oh, hey, this is an RPO when it's not. So I, I think without, you know, having the behind the scenes stuff to actually know what they're running, what the calls are, um, it takes a bit away from that. But they clearly adapted this system that worked well with Carson Wentz to one that would work well with Nick Foles. I think a big part of that is having that offensive line, which is a thing of beauty. I mean, you watch them work. Travis Kelsey is tremendous. Um, the fact that they can adapt to those quarterbacks, the fact that they have a run game. I mean, right. these, you build around the quarterbacks too, and that's what the Eagles did. Mm-hmm. I thought. I mean, they, they re-signed a number of receivers. They got LeGarrette Blunt. Um, they built out their, their defense, too. They had one of the top defensive fronts. So it's not just the quarterbacks. It's the full roster, and they made sure. They, they were built to kind of be durable through all this. You had a, you had a piece um, 
last week while you were you were at the Super Bowl that said sort of that um, you know what what you're seeing there or what was on display uh, there in Minneapolis um, provided kind of a of a stark reminder of of some of the things that the Broncos need. Right. Obviously, the quarterback situation sure. is is easy to look at. We've talked about it a little bit, but what were some of the other um, takeaways you had in terms of you know, again, the Eagles have built this relatively quickly from the time that they drafted Wentz to the time that they built around him. A lot of those guys that, that were key pieces weren't even on the team last year right. what, uh, or the year before. What were your takeaways in terms of um, things that the Broncos can kind of, I guess, take away from that blueprint? I think the biggest thing, aside from the quarterback situation, is you got to have an offensive line. I mean, the Broncos have had O-line problems for close to five years now. I mean, even when they won Super Bowl 50 – that offensive line was piecemeal, and though Peyton Manning wasn't at his best, he was still smart enough to kind of mask some of their deficiencies. So until they really bolster that offensive line, until they find another tackle, until they figure out what they want to do at the guard spot opposite Ron Leary, they're going to have problems, you know? You can't bring in a $30 million quarterback and just leave him out there. Um, so I think that's, that's number two on the list. Um, when I look at the Broncos behind the quarterback situation, you have to have a line because you don't have a run game. You're not going to be able to protect your quarterback. And then you're always going to force the defense to play from behind. That's what they did last season. Yeah, and, and I look at it too. You're, you're right that the line and just sort of, um, you know, I, I think people, um, I was talking to Mark Schlereth about this earlier in the season when I was doing a story about offensive lines. And, um, and, and just sort of that idea that people, I think, uh, take for granted how much time lines need to kind of cohesively build mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you, you talked about it they're they're recycling a right mm-hmm. tackle every single year yep. to me the idea of thinking that you can you can just kind of keep putting someone in there especially right. at like sort of a almost like a bargain basement type right. player type value um, you're just not going to get I think the chemistry and consistency that you need to be able to perform at a high right. level on offense and I think we like you said even going back to the when they won the won the darn Super Bowl they've still had these issues yeah. I mean that that line hadn't played a single snap together since before they took the field for game one think about that yeah. that's that's incredible it's a it's amazing they held on for you know throughout the season through 20 games so you know, and, until they start, they got to spend more on the offensive line. And it still kind of blows me away that, you know, John Elway, of all people, knows how valuable an offensive line can be. So I still, th- I think it's a little perplexing to think that, you know, why, why hasn't he spent more? And I think, you know, t- to his credit, he has tried to spend more. He has thought some moves would paint out, like Donald Stevenson when they signed him. But they just haven't, and I just think you got to allocate more money to building that out. Certainly, and you you mentioned thirty million dollars, uh, thirty million dollar quarterback. Since the last time that we had one of these podcasts, as we now know, uh, uh, Alex Smith was traded from mm-hmm. the Chiefs to the Redskins, which opens up the door for Kirk Cousins, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, to become that that free agent. Um, what's your view, your estimation? You, you know, you were down there at the Super Bowl, um, heard a lot of the talk there about just how involved the Broncos will be um, in, in this pursuit and, and how that might look? Well, I think they're going to be major players. Um, I, I think it comes down to whether John Elway is willing to spend that kind of money. And historically, he hasn't been 
willing to spend top dollar for a player. That's also what's made the Broncos so great is they've able they've been able to get some really great players on lesser deals. You think about the deal Chris Harris signed and the one Derek Wolf signed and you know, had they signed Von Miller earlier in that offseason twenty sixteen, they probably could have gotten him for much less too. But you know, John Elway has historically drawn a hard line. Um, and it's helped them. They've been able to build around their star players. But I, I think at this point, if they want a true franchise quarterback, they're going to have to spend it. And I think that's what that Alex Smith deal, that that was the message that was sent. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's going to cost a lot to get a franchise quarterback. And they agreed to a contract ex- extension with him. They gave up a haul to get him. And, and that's what it takes. You know, you can say what you want about Alex Smith, a player, but to get a franchise starting quarterback, that's what it takes. Yeah. And I you keep because I, I keep hearing the question um, when they say you know Kirk Cousins th- you know thirty million dollars twenty five million dollars whatever the annual salary mm-hmm. will end up being um, is is it is he worth it and to me it's not it's not it's, it's, not, it's not almost as much yeah. worth as it is market value exactly. I think those two things are very exactly. different and that's just the reality if yeah. you want a quarterback that's yeah. of that of that caliber. That's just yeah. that's just what the we're looking at. The next elite quarterback will typically always reset the market. I mean, you look at Matthew Stafford, you look at Derek Carr, all the guys before him. I think what's interesting about Kirk Cousins is he's 29, doesn't have much of an injury history, and he's at the top of his game. Rarely do guys like this come on the open market. That's also why he's drawing the big money right now. Look, he, he said, and you had a piece about this, his um, sort of thing that he put out there is that the most important thing to him um, is winning. Uh, I also uh, read a quote from him where he was kind of pointing to the Jacksonville Jaguars as saying mm-hmm. maybe a team um, has the pieces. Maybe they mm-hmm. haven't won at this point, but they have the pieces to right. show that they're going to go there. To me, that sort of like kind of opens them up the door of saying like sure. winning is important, but I can see different. It doesn't necessarily have to be a team that just won this year. Like if right. I can see that, do you think the Broncos could could show enough? to kind of be yeah. able to point to that direction for, for a guy like him. I do. And I, I think while everybody wants to look at the 5-11 season, you know, the questions about Vance Joseph, whether he's the right guy to carry him, you also have to look at the fact that they still have a pretty good defense and they have John Elway as their general manager. Now, you, you could say there's pressure playing under John Elway and playing with Gary Kubiak there too. But I think most quarterbacks, most players, coaches would say that that's a luxury. This is a guy that understands the game. He understands what it's like to be a player as well as an executive now. He knows what moves work, typically which ones don't. Um, So I think those are two big selling points. Um, They don't have much time with the defense as it's currently constructed. I mean, they lost T.J. Ward. They could lose Aqib Tlaib if which I think most are kind of expecting them to move on from that. They have inside linebacker issues, but there's still there's still talent on that roster. The question is, as you wrote in your piece, kind of looking at the competition for Kirk Cousins, is how does that stack up against the other teams, like the Vikings, who have an incredible defense, or the Jaguars, who have an incredible defense but also have playmakers on the offensive right. end. So that's where they're going to run into problems, and are they going to – Want to get into a bidding war for Kirk Cousins? I just don't see that from John Elway, you know, especially with Von Miller's contract on the books. It just seems like it would strap them for years to come. Yeah, no, absolutely, and it's that that balance that they'll that they'll have to strike between saying to him, "Listen, you're you're the you're kind of the missing piece, we believe." Right. But if you're if you're having to um, get rid of some of the other pieces 
in order to get him, then there would be these right. other missing right. pieces, you know? And, and it raises the other question of, all right, if you spend big on a veteran quarterback, how do you approach the draft? Do you use that number five pick on one of these four supposedly elite quarterbacks? Or do you go to another position in the first round? Do you try to get a quarterback um, that can learn behind this veteran? What do you do with that? I mean, you're, I know you've followed Josh Allen quite a bit over the years. What do you think they do with that number five selection if they go the veteran route and try to get like a Cousins or a Keenum or a trade for Foles? Yeah, my, my idea is that if, if they are to secure a guy like, let's say, Kirk Cousins, let's, let's, let's assume that they get a guy like Cousins or if he becomes available, say, Case Keenum or in a scenario where they would trade for a guy like Nick Foles, a guy who they believe is going to be their starter for, for several years to come. I just don't see in that in that aspect if you've invested that money um, and that value into into the quarterback you've secured in free agency. I don't see how you could go number five with the quarterback simply because, as we kind of talked about earlier, um, the need that you have in so many other spots, particularly along the offensive line, and and that might almost be a piece that you can sell to a quarterback is to say, listen, we have we have a really high pick. Um, we, you know, we had we drafted a tackle last year. He had some ups and downs, but we we're, we're, mm-hmm. we feel good about him. Mm-hmm. You know, we're gonna maybe we're gonna re-sign our center Matt Paradis, who who has a lot of continuity here. Mm-hmm. We have a really good guard in Ron Leary. And then you can say, hey, we're, we're gonna take a guy mm-hmm. at number five, whether it be uh, Nelson, the guard out of Notre Dame, right. or or one of the the uh, high caliber tackles that mm-hmm. that could go in the top ten, and just say, listen, we're gonna right away help secure mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, if, if they if they do get that free agent type guy, that to me would be more of a mm-hmm. route, either an alignment or or, or, partic- mm-hmm. or a, a standout playmaker. What's mm-hmm. kind of your thought on it? Well, it's interesting. I was kind of trying to keep track of all these mock drafts, and there's dozens <laughs> of them out already, and everyone varies. But it seems like the majority have the Broncos taking a quarterback. And I, it, it's still early. You know, there hasn't even been the combine. Free agency comes first, so that will change depending on their moves within, right. over the next month. But for right now, a lot of the analysts have them taking a quarterback, be it Josh Allen, Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield, Josh Rosen, one of those four. Sure. But the other side of that has them looking at Quentin Nelson, the guard out of Notre Dame, or, you know, I know they like that Will Hernandez. I don't know if they would – you know, use their number five pick in the sure. first round on him, but it's clear it's either quarterback or O line. Yeah, um, which I think is interesting. You know, I mean, what about trying to trade up and get a Saquon Barkley type if you feel you got that that quarterback for the near future and long term future locked up? Right. Yeah. No. That that's that's what's going to be so interesting about it. I think. Yeah. Like you said, a lot of these mock drafts. Um, they kind of just look at what you have now, I mm-hmm. think, and just say this is obviously right. they don't have a quarterback, right. so that that would one. be the obvious thing. And um, you know, what, at, do you think that there's a certain level, uh, you know, of quarterback that they? Because again, it goes Kirk Cousins, you know, I think Case Keenum mm-hmm. if he becomes if he becomes free, mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe a you know, Sam Bradford. But mm-hmm. after that, it's just like there's yeah. not. It's, it's not Kirk Cousins, of, and then it's kind of a right. You got the second year with Keenum. Maybe Foles if you want to try to trade for him, and then kind of like Tyrod Taylor, Bradford with a spotty injury history. Mm-hmm. So there's not a ton of options out there. I mean, this shows you how you know elite quarterbacks are hot commodities for a reason. There's right. just not many of them. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean they they got a lot of decisions to make. <laughs> They're gonna have to manipulate their salary cap quite a bit. And, yeah. Well, that's that's a good segue. Let's talk about that because you, you're, mm-hmm. you're kind of working on a piece that is examining 
just sort of the salary cap, um, you know, position that the Broncos are in right now, um, mm-hmm. positionally. Uh, what's just sort of, I guess, your takeaway as we go into free mm-hmm. agency about kind of how money is allocated right now and, and what, mm-hmm. what the biggest needs are in terms that they're going to need dollars mm-hmm. for? Well, for the last couple of seasons, most of their their cap has been allocated toward the defense. I mean, they pay the third most for the defense out of the league behind the, the Chiefs and the Jaguars. On offense, they rank among, you know, they're pretty low <laughs> in offensive spending, and that's because they've had... a correlation there. <laughs> right, and that's because they've had, you know, the three quarterbacks that just don't cost that much. But that's also you get shown. What you pay for. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. So I think if they try to get a veteran, they're going to have to manipulate the contract because that guy is going to balance all the books, whether you like him or not. So that's why you hear about you know them looking to release or, or try to trade for a keep to lead because that's $11 million in savings right there. That's why you hear about C.J. Anderson possibly going because that's a, another $5 million or so saved right there. And um, I, I think they're going to have to... They're, they're going to have to make some really hard decisions about some veterans if they want to clear space for a quarterback or another playmaker of sorts. So I, I think the key, the biggest takeaway to me is you got to spend more on quarterbacks if mm-hmm. you want a real starting quarterback. Yeah. That's all there is to it. And do, do you think that leaves, um, with that kind of being said, some of these, some of these positions where they could um, – you know, save money. Obviously, we've talked a little bit about Akib Talib, but mm-hmm. it, let's say that let's say they do in fact either trade him or or release him to get mm-hmm. that that salary cap relief of like you said, eleven million dollars. Mm-hmm. You're you're ready to put Bradley Roby into a starting position. I think obviously he's shown um, he's shown that he's prepared for that kind of thing. Um, but certainly the third cornerback, which is a, a very important position in this league, mm-hmm. you look at the roster behind him, and who is it? Is it yeah. Brendan Langley, who didn't show a whole lot during his rookie season? Marcus Rios is a, you know an undrafted guy who had some flashes, but again, we don't really know a lot about him. Um, where does that come in, then, if, if that's the scenario? Do, do they have to then try to find a veteran in free agency at a cheaper cost, or, or is that going to be a position they have to find in the draft? I think either. I mean, you're going to have to find some help just for depth at that position, perhaps veteran leadership. you got, you know, a good veteran in Chris Harris there, but, I mean, it's a, honestly, it's a sharp drop going from Roby to Langley, and, you know, you, you hope Marcus Rios has, you know, he comes in with a year of experience, but as an undrafted free agent, he just wasn't given much time. Right. Um, they gave him more time late in the season because of all the roster issues they had. But And I, I still think he could be a tremendous value. Um, but is he ready for that? That third cornerback spot is a big position. Oh, right. I mean, Especially, yeah, in today's in, in today's path. I mean, that's why Roby is so valuable yeah, now. And I mean, that's why – but you, you – you take a sharp drop at that yeah. that position, and then all of a sudden yeah. you're you're in you're in big trouble because offenses know exactly where to attack you. And and I just kind of go back again to this to this idea of the, the rookie class in 2017. Not only did they not produce a whole lot during the season, but now it's just like you can't. You just feel like you can't really bank on knowing that some of those guys are right. going to be right. big producers. They just don't have much of a developmental pipeline. You know, be it on the offensive line, be it in, on defense. They don't have guys ready to kind of move up um, and kind of learn from the veterans. And that's a real problem. That's where 2017 really hurt them was that draft class, I think. Yeah. Um, what, uh, what What are some of the other um, – we, we talked about quarterback. We mm-hmm. talked about the line. We talked about cornerback. 
Um, you know, obviously we have the combine first at the end of February, mm-hmm. but then the free agency rolls around. What, what do you think are some of the other spots where they might look to find some value to, to help fill? I think the defensive line. I, I think John Elway, he's never strayed away from grabbing the guys he thinks can help on defense. I mean, there have been a couple of years where everybody expected him to grab an offensive pick, but when he sees a value defender at the draft, like the Shane Ray type, the mm-hmm. Bradley Roby type guys that you know other teams are kind of passed on because of whatever reason, Elway has has made the move. Um, and he treasures his defense. He treasures his outside linebackers and his line. And, you know, they, they still got some good pieces, but they need depth on the line. And I, I think the draft could be a good place to kind of find um, some help, especially on the edge, depending on what they do with Shaq Barrett on, you know, how they feel about Shane Ray. I would expect them to exercise right. his fifth year, but – they have some decisions to make there. Yeah, and I think like, you, we brought up you brought up a little bit earlier that the Eagles showed how valuable it is to have just sort of like a, mm-hmm. a laundry list of guys on the defensive line who can come in and make an impact. And the defensive line, like you said, for the Broncos, that was one of the few I thought silver linings of the mm-hmm. season was how well you know guys like Doma Topeko, Shelby Harris had had a, had a huge year kind of mm-hmm. out of nowhere. Adam Gotsis made a huge jump. Um, but you, even going into that position this year, you, we don't know how Derek Wolf is going to be right. health wise. I mean, it, that's that's right. going to be a complete um, mystery. And then, um, so yeah, so, so then you still have just X mm-hmm. amount of guys who, mm-hmm. you, you you know, you don't know are they going to be able to replicate what they did last year? Right. And you know, does Domatov fall off a little bit now? That he's another year old. How does that all go? You know, and, and then receiver. You know, they got the veterans and DT and Emmanuel, but. Both have contract situations where you know they could either restructure or they could try to move them. But you know, I always view the the receiver position as kind of secondary to the quarterback because if you don't have somebody to throw them the ball, like <laughs> you know, their their numbers are going to go down. So we still don't know how valuable that group is until you figure out the quarterback situation. I would expect them to get more help on at receiver though. I mean, they need it. Benny Fowler's restricted. They may not tender him. Who knows? Mm-hmm. I mean. Um, they got a lot of questions there. Cody Latimer's an unrestricted guy. So there, there's your top four guys at that position kind of in question. Yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden it's it's interesting that the Broncos for so long looked at was looked at as one of the league's best wide receiver mm-hmm. situations. And, and it was. Right. Um, but, you know, things just change in a hurry. Yeah. Emmanuel Sanders, I think you could call it a lost season in 2017. Right. I mean, he had a couple good games, but then the ankle injury just yeah. uh, hobbled him almost the entire year. Cody Latimer came on but it was it's almost like mostly special teams special teams had a few good games late and then but yeah so you just look at Isaiah McKenzie obviously um didn't produce anything on on offense um as as a rookie a lot of fumbles yeah yeah (laughs) not so good on special teams um you know Carlos Henderson is a guy who who didn't was on injured reserve his entire rookie season you know could he give him a spark but yeah it's it that's that's a position that that has a lot of questions in my mind that that we're gonna have to i think try to once again find somebody in the draft perhaps that could could be an impact it's gonna be a long few months for broncos and their fans yeah no doubt well it's three weeks from yesterday is is when the combine starts Mm -hmm. so we'll pretty quickly have an idea of maybe some of the guys that um get on the radar nick you have anything else for right now No, just parsing through all the needs and options of the, of the team. So. 
expect some movement to happen in the next few weeks here. Absolutely. Well, you, if you like our podcast, you can subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. Uh, until then, keep it locked into denverpost.com slash Broncos um, for daily coverage throughout the offseason of, of the Broncos' uh, pursuit of a quarterback and, and other needs that they have to fill um, along the roster. Uh, we, until then, we'll see you next time.